0: Before the interview with Phil Lapp begins, I'd just like to take a minute to thank everyone who took part in the first monthly OneOuter.com tournament on William Hill Poker. Um, it was a lot of fun for myself to play with some of you listeners. Um, some of you I know personally, and some of you I don't. Um, there was a few guys from Finland, Portugal, and lots of other countries involved, as well as my hometown Dundee, so it was, it was a good mix. Um, congratulations to JAA who won the tournament. He won, the obviously, the prize money, a OneOuter.com t-shirt, a free month at PokerXFactor.com, and he also knocked me out, so he got a $20 bounty. Um, next tournament is Sunday the 14th of July, again at 7pm UK time on William Hill Poker. All you need to do to get involved, it's a $5 buy-in, is set up a William Hill Poker account, and use promotional code OneOuter when setting up the account. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R. You can find all the details about the tournaments and the monthly tournament dates from going to the William Hill Poker section on the OneOuter.com homepage. I've also put the league positions up from the results of the first tournament, so you can see where you are in the league. The player who tops this league after the sixth tournament will win a free one-to-one coaching session with Alex Fitzgerald, also known as Assassinato Online. So hope to see lots more of you in the tournament on Sunday the fourteenth of july at 7 PM. The password for the tournament is Ginger G-I-N-G E R. When inside the William Hill Poker client, just click on Tournaments and then the magnifying glass icon to search for tournament. Enter one outer and you will find the one outer monthly tournaments there. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to this episode of the OneOuter.com podcast, and I'm absolutely delighted. I know I say this a lot with all the guests, but this guy is my Everest, my Holy Grail, my Higgs bosom. I've tra- tried to get him for a year. Um, I had to go through his girlfriend to finally get him. It's Phil Lap.
1: You're very kind, and uh, and yeah, you're very kind. I've just been very... Uh, hard to get for everyone. It's not like, but uh, it's not like anyone's knocking at my door. Barry, you know what I'm saying? It's like I'm just, <laughs> I'm just distracted doing my own thing. Like I'm supposed to be at the World Series right now, but I got distracted again and I was down the Cape. I was uh, uh, having a little family thing. I, you know, something stirred up at the last second and I couldn't ask all the World Series of Poker to switch their schedule. I said, oh, some of my family's doing a little thing, Cape Cod, and I just shot off. You know. So.
0: Yeah. Well, um, it's it's quite funny. I was in Vegas last year for the World Series. And um, I'm good friends with Marco from Quad Jacks, who, you know, obviously covered Phil. Oh my God. I, he's
1: a great guy. What, you know, hello, Marco, you're awesome. Man. Yeah,
0: I agree. <laughs> and um, I saw Jennifer uh, Tilly uh, speaking with uh, Marco, and I walked over and I was like, oh, you know, this and that. And to cut a long story short, I remember hearing an interview with Phil, um, and it was about the Blame Blame Blow video with oh the 50 dollars ATM, titty stuff. And he said he wanted a t shirt. So that was my sort of way to try and, you know, get Phil Lack on the podcast. I got this t shirt made, handed it to Jennifer. No, I handed it to Brian Rast, actually, who's been on the podcast, who's another like, amazing poker mind. And eventually, through emails um, and one thing or another, Phil's had Olympics and lots of cool trips and stuff. And we finally got it ready. So um,
1: I love anyway, Brian we're, Rast. We're he is the best. And I love that the bling bling. Blau video and, and I love how uh, the best interview that ever was made to do with my whole life was when I was sleep deprived at like 100 hours plus with going for that record and and uh, our, our man at Quad Jack though was just, that was an incredible I lost my mind in in the last part of that and he captured the purity of what it was like to be like on the planet and looks like everything is squared away but you're really somewhere else he was he was great <laughs> that was a fun that was a fun time.
0: And that's it. So, uh, yeah, you're, you know, you said you're, it's the World Series just now and stuff, but you're you're not like shooting up there just now. You've had family things to do, and I think
1: it yeah, wasn't there any family I, things to do. I just all of a sudden it was, uh, you know, when sometimes it's hard as you get older. It, I was a pretty nuclear family, and then the, you know everyone goes to their different states and countries, wherever. So if if a 40 to 60 percent of family is going to collect at any one spot for any kind of random thing for whatever's happening i try and be a part of that and make it 43 percent or 52 you know what i'm saying and so something yeah. like that was happening i was like wow like uh it was definitely not easy you know it's never easy i love poker i'm sick one i can't wait to get up there and pack in my truck tonight you know
0: yeah so as so when i get guests on i don't usually ask you know we just let it see how the conversation goes and that's certainly going to be the case with you you know, everybody saw you on TV, listened to some of your other podcasts and stuff, and I've just got bullet points here, Phil, so we'll just start going in random directions, and I'll try and tick them off as I go. So uh, the first one, good place to jump in with what you just spoke about, is through your bluff articles and uh, obviously speaking with you over the last year through emails and stuff, you always seem to have like cool little trips you're going on, you're jumping here, you're there. And you seem to be like a guy that em- embraces life, but also you're that sort of sick degenerate that puts in these, you know, th- there's there's banter on the two plus two forms that, oh, Phil's playing like 510 at the commerce or this and that for, you know, three weeks straight and stuff like that. How do you sort of find that balance of being like hard hardworking degenerate and also, you know, trips with a girlfriend, family stuff and travel?
1: That's an excellent question. And. I think it's a lifelong struggle that I will constantly be in battle with. And I think that sometimes when I see some of the uh, weaker pull attractions yanking at my brain, whatever the weak ones might be like, let's pretend it's video games or it's uh, eating too much bubble gum with sugar in it or whatever it might be. I don't actually chew bubble gum, so that's like a bad example. But sometimes some parts of your life will have awesome balance and other parts are suffering. You're like, wow, I just you go over and rein one other part in, and then something else is starting, so it's like this constant, like pulling the threads back in on the sweater that's falling apart. So I'm no expert; I'm doing my best. Uh, the one thing I can say is, hour-wise, I can look at it from, uh, you know, a clinical area and say, okay, uh, like some. That's how you can kind of notice if you're drifting too much. Like there was a, you, uh, you know, if you're drifting to whatever thing it might like, video games once caught me for way longer than I wanted it to. I was gone. I, like, left planet Earth. I think it was after Christmas, like, three or four years ago, I left planet Earth for, I don't know, perhaps 60, 70 days. I was gone. <laughs> I was, well, you could find me in the living room, you know.
0: What was but, it, Call of Duty?
1: Call of Duty. It was the first time I ever <laughs> saw you. That. I, You know, I didn't know about it. It was like, wow, what, what is this? But, you know, so life is, now I'm healed from that, thank God, Um, which is no easy task. It's, like, always this feet of willpower to like manage one thing but then there's always something else coming around the corner i don't know what it will be next but <laughs> right now i feel like i'm pretty imbalanced so we'll see what happens
0: do you, do you think it's sort of uh that's like the paradox of things like poker and maybe even video gaming to an extent when you say that it sort of puts you in that state of you know like the now you sort of very zen it's almost like all you're concentrating on is the action you know like the bet and then poker or, or a computer game video game if you're playing that the time seems to just fly even faster.
1: Well, it's interesting. I, I mean, games have always pulled at my brain, and the scientists and the um, like, the market research guys for video games in particular, they have like rooms filled with people to, and they determine by like players' response or whatever happiness quotes. I don't know how they do it. I've never been in one of these rooms. But oh, what's the ideal amount of time before we give this guy a weapon upgrade? What's the most amount of time? Uh, what are the most amount of deaths he can have if he's a hopeless player where well, he'll still be interested. Like, how e- we have to make it somewhat easy for the hopeless people to still get kills, otherwise they lose interest in all these other facets. But any game is like that. Like, the more that you uh, learn about tennis, just trying to fuse your brain with your body. Like, sometimes you know, like billiards or tennis, you know how to do the show. You're like, oh, all i got to do is and it's all over. And then you slam it down, and the ball goes like, four feet to the right of the line you're like how did I so I don't know uh um I don't really know what question is answered or what I was talking about as it related <laughs> to your question you were asking something about like uh
0: yeah just how like poker can if guys seem to let you say you lost 70 days to video games and I know some guys even no, myself seven or having... eight
1: 70 days not, yeah, 70. <laughs> yeah a lot 70, of days yeah. like two and a half months <laughs> I was gone
0: yeah just like poker can get you sucked in like that as well, you don't realize totally. you know, how... In
1: fact, if you don't find that sucking feeling at some level, and it has to be basically puzzles being solved in your brain, and if that doesn't feel good it's not happening at a decent pace, especially in the beginning, then there's a problem. You're going to be called what they call a not-a-winning player. Like, it's important to be active because it is basically, uh, you know, that's just a game of intellectual attrition, like your game set, skill, thought patterns, how you surf the map, all that stuff, you know, so that, yeah, that's why it's interesting, to me at least, that's why even after 13 years, I think, wait, it's 2013, like 13 and a half years, you know, and sometimes you come out and you realize you didn't learn anything about poker at all, but you learned something about humanity or compassion or uh, or like I don't know, just th- things that are, like, game theory related, but not, like, okay, so, uh, I don't know, win rates and all, you got me yeah. drifting, kid, I don't even know why you got me,
0: <laughs> drifting. You got me drifting, even, kid. even just sort of, like, managing, you know, like, beats in life, if you like, or, like, handling stuff a bit better, isn't it, poker sort of crosses over yeah, with poker, all that Yeah, what I
1: was stuff. trying to say earlier is, poker's not all just the numbers and whatever, as if you were, like, at home, uh, Online in a vacuum, whatever. There's a lot of social dynamics. Like in a poker room, you might even realize. Like last night, I knew, oh, uh, like actually, I played poker at Commerce last night because was after the Cape. I realized, well, I was itching to play, but I couldn't just drive to Vegas. I hadn't packed it so I drove to the Commerce to get a little action in. And there was a time where I was playing short PLO, and it looked like the no-limit game was better. Uh, socially, it would have been more fun. But also, it was, uh, actually, I thought a a better win rate game. So there was, like, every reason to leave the table I was at and go over there. But I was being kind of, like, uh, hot-headed because I was stuck a little bit, and I wanted to look at a lot of hands and play a lot of hands. And uh, it, actually, there was a guy at my table in the shorthand TLO that I thought was playing too slow, and it wasn't even enjoyable. But I stayed there because I was stuck. And now this is a very, like, learning thing. So as I'm driving home, I realize, okay, Phil, like i'm not worried that i won or lost i actually lost last night but i'm worried that i noticed an inflection point where things had changed but i was my emotions had me sitting where i was sitting because my emotions were not in check and uh you'll find your best decision making happens when your emotions are in check and when they aren't in check other things kind of stem off from that like your internal core your alpha things, all that emotion. I don't know, the most primal parts of you actually determine huge heuristic post-mortem, you know, the things after that you're in. The the moments of thinking are actually, you're you a better, here's what I'm trying to say, this is me rambling, you're a better decision maker when you're in a good emotional state, when everything's in balance. And, uh, and yeah, so that was what I learned last night that I should have got off and I was like, why and why is it that you can be stuck three or four grand and you're just like it's affecting your emotion it shouldn't you know not if you're gonna gamble but sometimes it doesn't get me don't get me wrong i would say what happened to me last night that probably happens every 15 or 10 sessions maybe a little more sometimes less than others you know what i'm saying but it like what happened last night? That's probably a one in ten thing. I don't know why. Why do not not just leave the game? I don't care if I'm stuck. Like whoever, whatever.
0: whatever.
1: <laughs> I get up. This game is not as fun and it's not as profitable. So there's no reason to be here. You know what I'm saying? But I stood. Yeah. So.
0: that's it. Um. Well. Uh, perhaps a good thing to talk about is one of my favorite articles from any poker player you wrote in bluff. And I don't have the date, but it was.
1: What was it? I'm so long curious.
0: ago. It was called "Broke One Time and Never Again," um, and I actually got my girlfriend to laminate it. This is like two, three years ago. What
1: was it? I don't, wait, something. It's better to do something than never again. What, fool me It was time.
0: called. No, it was called "Broke One Time and Never Again." Oh,
1: "Broke One Time." Okay, right. Yes, I remember that. I remember that article, and I remember it resonated like is easy to write and effortless because when that moment happened, where I heard, you know. Basically, successful gamblers saying that you have to go broke a whole lot of times. I was like, wait a minute, do you Maybe their being broke was different than my being broke. My being broke involved being cereal like you know, out of a friend's cabinet because I didn't <laughs> want to go back and live with mom and dad. Like, and It wasn't my first pick of cereal, you know what I'm saying? And then uh, I was like, wow, I'm not going to do this again. Like, I don't like not being able to, I don't know, have a sandwich in the afternoon if you're hungry. Like, I literally went from... Uh, you know, it was probably worth minus fifty bucks. It probably owed somebody fifty bucks, and I had zero dollars in my pocket. That's broke to me. You know, I, I didn't like. Yeah. I wasn't in. I didn't have uh, any kind of infrastructure where I was being floated along by. You know, it was it was different back, and that was a, a while ago. You
0: know? Yeah. So for for people that don't know and haven't read the article, and I'll put links up to that article because, as I say, I'm I'm not just saying that. I actually got my girlfriend to like save it from online and laminate it. You know, I I, by I, the way, if
1: you like that article, you probably would like the Steve Zolotov one. The the guy that they call the Eagle. He's um he wrote an article that I thought was brilliant, and I read a lot of all I read a lot of the articles and everything. So I, when I say that I thought it was brilliant, I was like, wow, it's so well put. He basically had this story where he's like, yeah, there's all these guys that like will win two or three million dollars, and then later they're broke. And <clears throat> he was trying to explain to them that since there is no finish line in poker there's no finish line it's infinite right that you have to create utility curve economic theory fused in with the actual win rate and when you arrive at certain numbers for your net worth because of poker then your um your methodology that got you that two million has to maybe perhaps radically change so like if she was basically saying you're now worth two million that's not the time to go play, you know, five thousand, ten thousand, buying four hundred thousand in Bobby's room. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's just not the time because <laughs> maybe it is. If it is, by the way, what I feel you're supposed to do is break the responsibility of your earn into a partnership if you can find one that's appropriate. And if you want to subscribe to like a 20x rule or whatever, you can still sitting that game but you're not supposed to take a shot and you're actually supposed to be motivated to make money at a slower rate the higher your net worth with uh, like risk constraints portfolio management whatever asset allocation it's just basically once you get the two million (laughs) it's you know winning two million or losing two million from there is huge because winning two million when you've got two million um, you know you're, you're richer you've got two million more but you're still having pancakes and staying at taking a flight to visit your mom cause you want or whatever you need to do, but if you have zero, <laughs> what are you talking about? You can't even, like, order a croissant, you know? You lost two million. Yeah. So, if, well, it's like, the map on it's huge, and Steve Zolotov was just genius, because he was basically saying, you've won, you've done it, you're at the finish line, there is no finish line, so it's like a lower than you think it is, it's not a lifetime, and uh, it's very true.
0: Yeah, well, they say like traders and stuff, Once it's all about protecting your capital. That's the first thing you look at, isn't it? Yep. I suppose it's the same with poker. If you've got a little amount of money, you can afford to like reload it or whatever. But as soon as you hit yeah, that you're point... Supposed to, fact,
1: if, you're, if you have a lower net worth, you're actually supposed to take shots from sort of like a, well... Whatever. I mean, yeah, the lower your net worth, the more... I don't want to go into like the whole scaling of the number of bank buy-ins, you blah, 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 but, like, to touch, so skipping that, but then touching on the thought you gave me, which was in the book, Fooled by, uh, not Fooled by Randomness, it's called uh, Fortune's Formula. A guy named yeah. William Poundstone wrote a book called Fortune's Formula, which was just a brilliant collection of stories from uh, smart guys that have now, some are uh, passed along now, and there was one fella who, his mantra was, get rich slow and he defended all the time against disasters and he took insurance against unlikely events that would were likely to happen lifetime but unlikely in the next year and he was determined to get rich slow and so he never really had any kind of like huge downswings uh, but his growth curve was just so it was like wow that's it that's the trick you want to you want to do it slow you
0: know yeah. and that was mentioned in your article so Take us to that time when it was, you know, I, I don't want to go, we always go right back, how do you start in poker, you know, that sort of stuff. But let's take us to, because backgammon is, you know, certainly, you know, a, a gambling game and a lot of money's well, certainly back in the day. I don't know what it's like now. um, But, you know, money was, big money was made and lost in some backgammon games. Take us so, to that time you know when you times were in New I'd York. rather be
1: in a $25 game with one fella than, uh, like, uh. Maybe maybe a, a, a three-handed chouette for $25 would be like so much more favorable than uh, like a, a $200 uh, a point game with a guy that you were better than. You know, there was just some times where it didn't matter. That $25 point game, there might be games where all of a sudden the cube's at eight and you're playing a, uh, against a fellow that was a lot weaker than uh the original opponent you might have picked. So it's like the gambit theory thing in chess, where you do a less than optimal play to sort of guaranteed better financial future rewards. Uh, those things come up in life and gaming and poker and all sorts of stuff. Uh, of course, you shouldn't abuse it. Like when you're like, "Wow, well, okay, I know it's wrong by you know such and such, two hundred and twenty dollars to try and get this card. Cause there's no more implied value, but wow." Imagine the tilt value that I can weed into the game from that moment where, <laughs> you yeah. know, I know that I did the mistake or, you know, and uh, it doesn't really get that fine tuned. But the gross arc of what I'm saying, I'm trying to, you know, say, basically, it's not always just black and white. There can be little you can cut. You can still get this grilled cheese sandwich with all sorts of different approaches, you know?
0: Yeah. So, So take us to that point when you were in New York and your friend was the options trader and, you know, what your life was like at that point when you decided to make the play. Uh, before before you went bus
1: my life was pretty much the same as it is now and since i was probably like 12 or 14 i was just always just trying to find ways to have fun use my brain and uh like i was i've always i've always just uh i don't know really been just poking around games and thought things like even if i'm in uh Even if I'm going to like invest in something, I want it to be as a result of me feeling like I've thought my way into an edge, even though a lot of it's illusionary. I'm just re- finishing a book called uh, Fast Thinking, Slow Thinking, and it's just it's a great book and it just talks about how you might think you have it figured out, but you don't, <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> how we think we our confidence levels in certain spots are. And I don't remember all the terms. There were like ten new terms I learned, all of which I've forgotten. But uh, just basically, uh, we want, when we think we see something, we're much more likely to call it the truth when if we had looked at it from a proper properly, from like a scientific vantage point, you realize, oh, that's not even the answer or whatever. So you know, so I've always been just trying to, uh, I guess I got, distracted again, but how was I then? I mean, I was the same as now. I didn't know about poker then. I guess I didn't have Jennifer Tilly in my life, and I hadn't met Antonio, but I had a, uh, a very fulfilling social life and uh, knew a lot of interesting people from backgammon, some of which I still know, but I really don't... I mean, I probably play backgammon once a year or something like that with somebody on an iPad on an airplane. It's like It never comes up. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know if there's... Yeah. There's probably people on the beaches of France somewhere or whatever playing high stakes backgammon, but I've totally fallen out of touch with it because I think poker is just so much—it's just—it's just so much more fun. I was like, wow, you get poker's always available. First of all, if you live near a casino, you just go to the casino and you're in a game. <laughs> you know, <laughs> boom. And backgammon is well, you gotta arrange it. You gotta either know to go somewhere at like 3 p.m. every day, like a club, or you call somebody up and arrange it. And I don't know, I'm, I'm too, I'm too. Uh, uh, what is it called, last-minute, spontaneity, fella, sort of whatever, directed that. When I found out poker was just perpetual, I was like, wow, this is, and it's fun, it's social, there's nine people there in the table, the other eight, eight players in the dealer. Uh, it's definitely going to be more ripe with social opportunity for, I don't know. So I don't know, how else was I different? I was younger and uh, – I don't even think poker – I had heard of poker wisps here and there, but I didn't – I'd never been even to any – you know, I was totally out of the loop. I didn't know. I often wonder, wow, if I learned about poker like in high school and I had itch and I skipped college and stuff, it's possible I could have uh, bumped into a whole different world. Who knows? But um, so does that kind of give you a flavor? I really don't know. I, I was living in New York at the time, and uh, – New York's awesome, and and haven't been there in a year. I don't know. What's the next thing on the bullet point question? So
0: yeah, yeah. It was just basically to sort of uh, talk about the the discipline, what you learned. You know, you speak about like you were eating I'll cereal say the one on two dollars. thought was the
1: most interesting, and uh, and then we'll move on because it's like whatever. But I remember playing poker, and people would like cringe with pain when they, like, you know card came off that was 36, 33% or 25, you know, the guy who has the set versus the flush draw and the flush just got there and he does the math, he realizes, wow, I was 75% of (laughs) what all these things were like aces versus kings and the percentages that they were talking about and being like stunned that they lost I just thought it was funny, I didn't understand it at all, I thought it was first I realized it wasn't a put on, but I was trying to figure out like how can somebody who thinks an 80-20 event going against them is anything but like practically likely because when you play backgammon I mean, you're witnessing crazy crazy it's 50 moves in a game who knows 30 to 50 moves in a game and the funny thing about math is if you're trying to roll a unique number that's a game changer given enough rolls it's the probability starts adding and it's like so you get these and it's not just one roll that can change things maybe there's like a class of four numbers versus a four number combination and that will, like, totally restructure the equity in the game. The You know, it takes a while to start seeing the branches and feeling the appreciation of narrow events, but when you play a lot of backgammon, you realize, you start feeling that three in a thousand is relatively common, <laughs> you know, because you're just witnessing things. Uh, because the natural splits in huge, you can have huge equity splits in backgammon with what they're called. They're called jokers or anti-jokers, where... Just because you roll this one crunk, crunky number, your position is spoiled or it's just like a super joker and it's like super deluxe. Well, you don't really have that in poker, you know, like, I don't know, you, you don't get, it's not like you're battling against the one outer and the three outers all the time in poker, you're battling against 70, 30 edges and splits like that, you know, so I don't know. So when I came into, and also there was one other thing. In this, in the backgammon halls of New York and the park and whatever, you, you kind of get a feel for uh, if a guy says, hey, i got a deck of cards I can make the jack of spades come up on its own and squirt lemon juice in your eye." <laughs> By the time you're done with New York, you realize when a guy says that to you, oh, yeah, so you've got a special deck of cards, and somehow that jack knows to come up, and there's like a device hooked up to it, and lemon juice will squirt in my eye. You just almost like just figure that's a, the sure thing. Yeah. Like when a guy says, so I came into poker, and people were like, you know, Here's the Rube. He's, it's his first, like, month in poker. Let's catch him on some props. And whatever was offered, no matter how counterintuitive it was, I was like, well, I have Bayesian information here. Here's somebody that's willing to bet on a certain event happening. And they, they came to me with this bet. So you know what the right side is. It's their side, probably. You know how counterintuitive it is. And the, even if it's uh, clear somehow, it's just better to not make the bets and just learn what the hell's going on. And uh, so I just thought it was funny because people methodologies in, the like, the prop hustle or whatever kind of thing they were going to try and get you on if you – I'm not saying this was your average poker player. Maybe, like, once a month you'd get this character, you know, this drunk guy from wherever. And he was just trying to, like – New York was incredible training because then those opportunities were just fun. It was like, wow, this is the social uh, web that I flow through. And look at this character. I'm so glad I'm – hanging out with him to watch his little patter, you know, <laughs> like, it was, and just yeah. purely from a sociological point of view, and there's no, you have zero temptation, but you definitely want to hear his racket or whatever, so I don't know if that makes yeah. any sense, so New York was like a good, you know, those two things took me into poker, yeah. and I kind of came out, I just started winning on the first, but the games were so weak back then, so it wasn't any kind of triumphant thing to say, <laughs> I was beating the games in 2000, it, it wasn't, you know, that wasn't an, a guy that I would get crushed by the games of today. The version of me that was winning out of the gate in two thousand, he was a fish, basically. But I was gambling with other fish, so it was all good, you know?
0: Yeah. So when when you obviously went broke through your your, your speculation in the markets yep. and you came back, what did you learn about discipline there? When I when I read that story, it was like you said earlier in the interview you were you were living off cereal a two two dollar box of cornflakes a week and yep. You were you remember your little jumps I remember everything. I remember
1: uh, making the decision. I actually walked from, I, yeah, wow. I remember like realizing, wow, I really, I borrowed a thousand dollars at one point because I had zero dollars, and I remember I from the math point of view of my net worth is minus a thousand. I didn't think I could afford a subway token, which was a buck fifty or a dollar. It was a dollar ten or dollar. I can't remember. It was something over a dollar. So I realized I had to walk, and I said, well, eventually I'll be able to afford because i was walking to a backgammon park you know to play five bucks a point backgammon but i was like i realized well if i do the numbers crunching, eventually i'll be able to buy a used bike for under hundred bucks and then it will i'll get my money back on the subway and i'll be getting exercise but it was a super grind and i never once was, there wasn't one moment where it felt like constricted or dark or uh um like friction or cognitive pain or uh, it was it was actually the best days of my life. I just realized, well, now this is my new plan, okay? And it was just like the same way a guy on the beach is making a sandcastle and the kids the water washes up or he's like, Oh, okay, what I gotta do is take the sand and go further up the beach and he doesn't think, Oh, the sadness that I've lost this castle. He sees the opportunity of all that sand up further up the beach. It was just straight like this is it was just straight, you know, small time hustle. I just got I had I had to work and be focused. It wasn't there was no uh but it actually you know, it was Arduous at times because you'd see people eating whatever, and you'd realize, well, you'd be lucky to get a leftover slice of pizza on your net worth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In yeah. you <laughs> your little corner, you know.
0: But there's almost there's almost a romanticism or a nostalgia, you know, with that. It's like I had Neil Shannon on the podcast. Yeah, there was a little
1: bit of pride because I realized I always knew I had a very solid mom and dad. I could just go back. Hang out with mom and dad, live rent and food free, get a little something going, get a resume, send it out. And I was like, wow, that's just destined to be an engineer again. I was like, I can't be an engineer. I, don't, I have to be free, yeah. you know? I, I say, I'd rather. And I remember taking a vow of poverty. I was like, wow, I'd rather be broke playing games than mm-hmm. rich as an engineer or something like that. I just realized I was just having too much fun playing games. So I just realized mm-hmm. that's like what I had to do, even if it meant I was never going to have any money. It didn't. I was. I was happy to readjust my plan, because, you know, as a, I don't know, 20 or 15-year-old or 25-year-old or whatever, in my younger years, I probably thought, oh, I want to have money. It seems like, you know, I yeah. thought that was important. But then I realized, young young enough, luckily, that, no, it was about having fun, and games were fun. So I took, I was like, okay, I'm never going to have good stuff. And then I got lucky, because poker, because I was good at games, and poker blew up, and it was just easy to, you know, do a little winning while it was easy, you know?
0: Yeah. We talked. we touched on money management and obviously your situation then. You said you were you were very much uh, aware of your bankroll and your net worth and, and it's a slow and steady climb and get rich slow. And um what would be your sort of advice to guys now, you know, starting out obviously it's a different ball game now, starting online with, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever. Would what would be your advice?
1: As a young guy, you would wanna have uh, a total passion for all all uh All games, I guess, like not games, but like you just want to be your best at whatever you can be at, whether that's tennis because you, you're never trying to be good at tennis with the idea of, oh, maybe there will be like a $20 match with a friend that I know I'm better than that at tennis. Like that zero should be in your head. It should be just at, as if, if you just keep pursuing uh, to fill the nooks and crannies of your mind with cool and fun details about any old game. It could be, I mean, preferably gambling ones because there's no sense in becoming um, – at like a rare form of a game that no one plays or chess for that matter, there's not as much money in chess as poker or whatever. So um, you can still pursue chess and any other game for that matter, for the sake of its, you know, it will make your other games as enhanced, uh, enhanced enhance them, et cetera, just because you're using your brain. But like in games, I guess what I would say is this, whether you think in the future that you will gain money from it or not, all activities should be pursued with great fervor, et cetera, especially uh, the games, all games, because people are more likely to bet on games than they are going to bet on, I don't know, insert anything, like who can paint a chair better. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like games lend themselves yeah. to things with chance. Like enjoy that life, it, it, that ride because they're all fun. All games are fun. Like when I was playing trying to uh, – Play more events. I realized, well, I've never really played uh, do seven, single draw no limit, but conceptually it's very interesting. And I, the first time I played it, I never played it, and I realized, oh wow, this. I realized instantly that it was actually a more sick, pure, intense, cutthroating sick. Like it was a hyper variant of no limit poker. It was like you couldn't be a nit, and you couldn't be a crazy. Manic. Either you had to like there was a fine point of being, a like I don't know, do seven no limit is just it's like I guess it's kind of like no limit hold'em on super uh, adrenaline or something. It was just like (laughs) every hand felt like this huge because you know your whole stack first of all and and the chicken game of chicken and position and all these concepts and a little bit of the math and this and that, but it was. Uh, I don't know. So I don't know. I kind of got sidetracked. Oh, it was, uh, advice to the young kids. So yeah, be passionate about all the, you can't get good at any of the games without passion. So be passionate about learning whatever and, uh, whatever strikes your fancy, spend more time with it. If you, and don't really be worried about the results so much because if you're worried about the results, you're missing the first point, which is the ride should be just as fun, although it's not. It should be if you're, like try if you're trying to be the self-actualized Buddhist monk, you'd realize well the journey's all the same no matter how well I'm doing, you know. Yeah. So, but like it's hard to be uh, a philosopher and a Buddhist when the reality of it is, you know, it's sometimes it's nice to have an extra twenty pounds in your pocket, you know. So yeah, uh, but yeah, just be um, and be happy with wherever you're at because before you know it all over. You got an infinity behind you already and you have another infinity to roll out in front of you. You just got a little teeny <laughs> speck of time. You better just try and enjoy it, you
0: know? That's it. Uh, so I think it's more about, like, embracing risk, isn't it, and managing risk, sort uh, of.
1: And be smart about the stuff that you don't know and be, um, try and learn about it. And the internet's a great resource for stuff. I mean, the first time I went broke, I didn't know. I really didn't know. No one took, It was my first bet, pretty much, you know, like a uh, large bet. I didn't realize, oh, wow. Well, Kelly Criterion, no matter how excited I'm about this play, I, their utility curve is, you know, you can't just, the reason why I went broke is I put 96% of my net worth in one idea, which is just yeah. horrific. It's like, I, I can't even imagine that that was part of my brain. You know, I was just like in a hurry, you know? And I was like, Yeah. Was, so, um, and with the super high confidence level of risk, don't get me wrong. One of the things that a lot of finance people get wrong is, uh, they overcompensate. They might like like what happened to me. I bet nearly everything. I lost it. Then I was oh, I'm never doing more than like ten percent on any idea, no matter how good it is. It turns out that sometimes you should put it, even as much as half of your net worth into one idea. It's uh, a strange concept, but if your confidence levels justify it, there are going to be times where you can make super aggressive Kelly bets. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. um, but <clears throat> anyways, that's like another chapter, but.
0: Yeah, I was reading that book by Nate Silver. I think it's The Art of the Signal or whatever. In Haralobos, there's a chapter about him in it. Um, and it's basically that when he was younger and he, he, I can't, was it the Lakers maybe? He put like his whole net worth basically on that bet for them to win the championship.
1: I remember that. He was telling me the numbers were crazy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: that
1: was, that, that is um, Haralobos. Has done very well for himself. Of course, he was very—he's always been very sharp and stuff. Uh, yeah, this—I uh, don't know what that bet was, but he—he he must have. Had, he also had, remember, an alternative source of uh, dynamic income. At that time, should he have lost his static bankroll, which is his—you know—whatever was in his fist, he still has the dynamic, the incoming bankroll from the fruits of his labor, his sports, this, his uh, sky caps stuff he was doing yeah. like he was gonna get another five hundred bucks in a few days of hustle. Anyway, so yeah. you have to also incorporate that into your uh, betting schemes. It's a lot different being worth a hundred thousand or a guy who's worth fifty thousand but he has a trust fund coming in at six thousand a month. I mean it's a super crush <laughs> the fifty grand <laughs> a month or whatever it might be, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Haral Boss, he was one of these guys in like high stakes poker. Back in the day, it was just superb viewing and still probably the best poker show that you know, I've ever been on. And uh, you did certainly well in quite a lot of the shows. Um, w- what was the sort of scene, like, behind the scenes? I've, I've never really spoke to uh, guys that were on that on the podcast. I mean, I had Barry Greenstein on, but we weren't really speaking about, you know, high stakes. That was, What was it like sitting with them and, like, maybe some sort of, like, anything with Ivy? Or, you know, what was your sort of take on the high stakes? What was the reality of uh, it? My take was
1: this, that... Uh, it was brilliant. It was if you couldn't you, if you tried to get a 300-600 no limit game going during the times of high stakes poker, you, you wouldn't find it because normally what was happening in Bobby's room would be maybe a thousand two thousand or sometimes they had two four thousand and occasionally eight four thousand eight thousand but that was limit poker. No one yeah. was really before high stakes poker. If you went into the Bellagio or the Commerce or even a lot of home games, it was pretty much like it capped out at twenty five fifty. Eh, during the series, it'd be the occasional 100, 200, but like the, the 300, 600 with anties, Like this was just like every, this was just, you know, uh, new. It was new and it was fun because uh, we were going to see what everyone had afterwards and stuff. So it was a great, it was a great time and I can't wait for those uh, for those days to come back, which I think they kind of are going to because I I'm pretty sure Maury Escondani is very keen on making poker shows, and with the new uh, cl- uh, climate in America of poker now, I think it's legal in three states, I'm not sure it could be four, and, you know, it's only intrastate, like in Nevada, you have to be in Nevada to gamble. but eventually, I would think this is going to fill up in state by state, and then eventually there'll be companies that'll say, hey, it's worth it for us to build these, you know, those shows were funded by stars or full tilt or whatever, you know, that they were infomercials in a sense to send people people traffic to their poker sites, so that's why they're not being built now people still want to watch them but no one wants to pay the ads for it you know
0: yeah yeah so um i as i said i had neil channing on the the podcast um last year i think it was and uh, i know you and him are you know good friends and he told i asked him for a phil lack story because i told him i'm trying to get phil on the podcast and he told me some story about one time way back in the day he was in uh, playing in Vegas, and someone was giving him money or something to play some game, and it was actually you that turned up and delivered the money to him or something.
1: Yeah, what happened so, uh, it was a, like 400 years ago when they had the poker at the Rio, and a friend of mine that I played back in with in New York called me, and he says, hey, uh, can you do me a favor and give, and I don't know if it was 1000 or 5000 but it was for sure something between a thousand and five thousand, that at the time was like, yeah, you just, you just don't give this money to anybody. And he says, "Would you give this money to a, a friend of mine that will approach you?" And I said, "Yeah." And you'll just get me back because we had a, uh, you know, he was uh, on my list of somebody that if I would just say yes to and get it from him later. He said, "Okay, yeah." So he'll um, he'll just come up to you in the casino and he'll say his name is Neil and uh, give him the money and then. Neil came up to me and I gave him the money and I didn't really know it was Neil. It was many years later after we became friends. He was like, you know, the first time, da, 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 da. and I was like, really, that was you? Oh, wow,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, That wasn't yeah. really an interesting story. So we probably lost like 8% of your podcast listeners with that last <laughs> No,
0: no, no, not at all. No, the, Neil Channon, when I had him on, we spoke for two hours, 47 minutes. It was basically the best. Oh,
1: my God, the best part about Neil is as you dip in you can dip in at any point because he's nonstop stories, right? So you can just dip in like, yeah. and then you can dip out and at any time in your life you dip in and dip out, it's a whole new series of cool little stories and you pop back out and you're like, he is a collection of, because he's, he, he tells stories like an awesome raconteur and he has seen everything and if he wasn't there, he knows firsthand of one of the guys, one of the people that was there is his buddy and told it to him firsthand. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Literally everything in Europe for the last 40 years to do with gambling and a lot of America, he's just like one pulse right there. And it's so much fun talking to
0: him. Yeah, and another one of your friends, uh, Brian Rast, who you know, I gave the T-shirt to and he's yep. been on the podcast. Hey, something about Brian, just like I had him on the podcast and we talked about this question about um, it's been discussed on Poker After Dark. I think it was maybe Helmuth and stuff going on about it. And it was, what do you do on the first-hand, you know, the World Series? It's a sort of hypothetical. you got pocket aces, and the whole table goes, you know, all in. And you, you, you've you got pocket aces. Do you call or fold? And me and Brian sort of, like, talked right through it's it. It's a we'll no-brainer. The, the answer is
1: instantaneous for, like, ten reasons. It's it's just like a super slaughter. I don't know. Did everyone get it right?
0: Um, We kind of – we were going through the You have the to throw all the
1: theory story. out and think practically. You're at the World Series of Poker. No one wins, but everyone wins. The only way to win is by subjecting yourself to death. And every table in Vegas, there's some kind of action happening. And by being in one table, it means you're not in another table. So you're supposed to go around to as many tables as possible and collect whatever theoretical equity there is. Just snap, touch, 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 touch. Because if you don't, it's a good thing if you lose with aces. Because then you're in another game with more opportunity to be Plus plus plus, and every time you have aces versus kings heads up in the cash game, after you bust with aces eight-handed or nine-handed, it's a good thing you lost because you're putting yourself in plus EV spots, and your goal is not to. uh, Your goal is to just keep touching. You get more EV spots per hour. Yeah, if you're gonna live, if your if your last gamble on life is that, now you can take the other approach because there's no other place to go. And you can craft your mind to the whole thing and it's your last game. You wanna enjoy the la- like little dribbles and you're gonna out science and you get your value of time <laughs> spent because if you bust out all you can do is like uh, read a book. There are no other uh, you know, in so in, in some ways you can fold, but the truth is not during the series when it's like a festering fester pot of insanity everywhere. Also think about the utility When you go all in and you lose, now you have life utility because every hour spent at a poker table is an hour you're not surfing or whatever, skiing or whatever your other activities are. So you're trying to get as much plus EV stuff done in the short amount of time that you're going to devote to poker. And even if you think, well, I play a lot of poker, I play 50 years, 40 hours a week, every week, no breaks. That's still no time because in the infinity spectra, like all you're doing is touching these little moments of, the probability speckles that come your way. And the trick is, is to take those speckles like a basket in the in the orchards. Like if you were in the, I don't know, 1865 on an orchard and you were just raising your cattle and simply and you go fishing occasionally for some trout. and Then the apples are in season. Yeah, you take your bucket, you go out, you shake a couple of trees or you pick them up off the ground. You don't have to get all the apples on the orchard trees. You don't have to. There's other people Let other people have some of the apples. It's like... When you finish a run, you don't have to drink all the water at the fountain. You can have a little bit, take a break. It's all good. It's all going to happen. It's all going to unfold, you know? So yeah. I want to be in that exciting spot. I want to be – the I don't care if I win or lose. That's not the point. The point is to be on the curve, to be moving through the flux in life, to not be static, to be dynamic. It's dynamicism that stems from all the, like, things that unfold. You, it's a lot easier to win a tournament with 100,000, too, and it's a lot cooler story, too, and it's fun than whatever. Fun. Fun. Mm. Okay, there's another no. one. Fun is one of the primary three constraints you should have <laughs> on your life: fun, freedom, fulfillment. It's going to be fun to <laughs> to try and beat eight people. I mean, if you don't view yeah. that as a fun task, then you shouldn't be gambling anyway. So it's a I can't I even. Mean, it's not even close. It's not. Even, it's such a wrap, shut and case dry. It's like once you enter in the fun equipment, it's, it's done. Done. You don't even. <sighs>
0: You you put something beautifully there when you said you should just be I can't remember your exact words but it was like touching around the tables and going touch 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 like all the I just had like this vision of, like some sort of like matrix you know green background to just like you running around the world series just touching <laughs> trying to get you. <laughs> it <gonna> feel like when <laughs> <this, laughs> you walk through
1: it's a uh, oh man yeah when you it's just like opportunities everywhere. It's also funny because the corollary to that what a lot of people don't see and this is like one of the dark corners of, like, the gambling thing about going broke and stuff. It's the same way that, see, a lot of gamblers can taste the touching effect that I just explained, that can that um, ripples familiar through people's, I don't know, consciousness, like oh, yeah, there's, like, action. What you also want to do is be sensitive. You don't have to, like, focus on it, but you have to be sensitive that as you walk towards the poker tables, you are walking by the anti-gravity, Parallel thing to that construct and all these people playing craps roulette and whatever they're like spinning their their money is being chiseled away from them Okay, so mm-hmm. all those tables are sprinkle like minus EV. It's like a, a red different levels it's but so you're walking through all the like all the you know fiscal downtick chipping away at all the I don't know souls the the live souls around the tables. Going to the place where there's like it's like a little garden. That's why it's green. You know, it's like and that's why the felt is green. And so I don't know. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, no, it does. And I've had strange feelings like that in Vegas, and you know, just sober as well. Just when you've been playing too long. And by the
1: way, um, that's like uh, also if you start thinking like that in gambling, then go out to Red Rock Canyon, and go for a run. You don't want your consciousness to be peppered by like the particulars <laughs> of any one thing too much, I don't think, you know, I mean...
0: When I was in Vegas last year, I mean, seriously, I wasn't even drinking, you know, and the de- I've never had so much deja vu in my life, it just felt weird, like lots of situations, you know, it was just so strange. Yep, yep. That's another That's another story. <laughs> yep.
1: I love Brian Rass, he's the best, I can't wait to see him, I haven't seen him in a bit, and uh, uh, he and uh, Anton and a lot of... Uh, Just everyone is up there. They're just like pounding away at these tournaments, and I feel like, oh wow, like I gotta get up there, (laughs) you know. So, (laughs) well, it's
0: like uh, about Antonio with the obviously his victory last year and the that big one for one drop and stuff. I mean, did did you rail him at that?
1: I did, but I did it digitally. What happened was I went by the Rio, and I was like, great, I'm gonna catch the like this tournament, and I didn't come in that late. But it was already so packed, and I think um, I, I'd seen some of it on the Internet from my house, and then I went over there. One or two more people faded away. Maybe it was like four or five-handed at this point, And I was like, wow, I never saw such a throng of people. It was really – I was like, wow, I could, okay, jiggle through, get somebody to bring me, in, and then just – there would be a place for – it." and I was like, you know what? Or I could go to my buddy's flat screen, huge TV, to, you know, and just watch it proper with no distractions, no anything. And uh, so I went, and that was intense. So I actually there was like three or four of us watching it on a on a big screen TV, but uh, it was very it was a very intense time. That was very cool. There was a lot. That was a, a night of some crazy hands, like the quad threes that didn't happen yeah. for Rass against the uh, what was it the I think Rass flopped ace side flush and Trickett had a set of threes and he might've made quad threes. I can't remember, but there were like uh key. There was
0: a yeah, the hand
1: turnarounds like the Ace King versus Queens, uh, Antonio and Guy Liberte And then there were just like some sick, it was insane poker, you know, happening as well as some insane like hand versus hand, just it, the money's going in let's see what happens kind of hands. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. also some yeah. really high-level pool poker artistry at the same time. And uh, so, yeah, so it
0: was cool. Well, Antonio, before that tournament and stuff, he said, I actually spoke with him in the, the halls of the Rio, and at that time he wasn't even going to be playing the one drop. He was going to be commentating on it. And obviously things changed near the event, and he actually played it. But he's well-publicized as saying that he just was full of conviction that he was going to win that tournament and stuff. Now, you're a really logical guy, you know.
1: Well, yeah. No, it's, a, it's a no-brainer that if you ask sports athletes to uh, make three-pointers or two-pointers, whatever, one of the... It's not even like a sports physiological like uh, rarity of truth. Everyone kind of knows that visualizing is... It sort of enables the path to unfold on that path. It's not like You're creating the path. The path exists along with multitude of other paths, but by by being awakened to uh, paths which are more desirable, you. It's not that you're funneling the energies towards it. You're just sort of like it's sort of like this. It's easier to surf a wave when you're aware of all the nature around you. So you might think I carved that path. I knew it was going to be an awesome thing, but what you're really doing is just being aware of your environment and Putting your body on the path because when you're on the surfboard if you miss that wave by a little bit you're too forward or too far back or you don't turn to the right where the wave is breaking you're just going to lose that perfect wave anyway do you know what I'm saying so
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, it's like that's why the, that's why poker's uh, often such an insidious beast because you rewind hands you're like wow if I had called the 200 or if if he didn't raise which was a really odd raise sometimes the strange one is a guy will raise in a spot where 8 out of 10 times he's never raising there. He's flatting every time, which meant you would have flatted. And then you see the way the board runs out. You're like, oh my god, I would have felt the two guys. I would have been trapped for the math in the turn and all the money would have gone in, blah, blah, blah. And all because of one little hitch earlier, you know. So sometimes you get to be the cruise director on this little mini ship where the switches, the railroad switches are lined up. And sometimes not. Sometimes you get derailed. But, uh, it, uh, So, yeah, so I think for sure your performance, it doesn't guarantee performance, but it enhances performance. Does it enhance it by 50% or 100%? No, but does it enhance it? Yes. I think that's a no-brainer because your your mindset and your, remember, most of the good decision-making that we make is done when we're in good emotional states. And seeing a good result before it happens means that your body's in a good emotional state, so you'll be, uh, you know, optimizing your path more. So, yeah, like, more yeah, never to, uh, when it was, like, nine-handed. If somebody says, uh, I'll give you, like, three to one or two to one or I'll bet you even money that you're going to win it, he would look at the math and uh, he would make the correct decision. But, like, you know what I'm saying? He's never going to bet, but, he's, but, but he would make the odds at that point whatever the math says it is because then he would have edge because he would have well never mind that i was just talking about if all all if all things were equal meaning all the skills yeah. were predicted equally he would have then a free roll on psychic edge which is why it's okay to flip when your net worth is yeah. a certain amount like if your net worth is 10000 you shouldn't be flipping for like 3000 obviously this is like a super simple math thing to show you but if you have a high net worth and somebody wants to flip you for 100 bucks there's all the intangibles attached to that moment and the added benefit of you get to pretend that a thing called psychic premonition exists and you get to attack the possible free roll that it does exist. So mm-hmm. the scientist in me knows that, sure, it does not exist, but that doesn't mean I'm not allowed to let the child in me roam, because it's safe to roam. It's safe. I can even play you, if I wanted to, I could play you uh, flipping red-black on a flop, and try and lose and still be quite successful. It doesn't matter what my mental state is. The math <laughs> is still overridingly huge. That one yeah. thing is going to happen. Is you're flipping. You can run bad. You can run good. But since there is an opportunity to perceive that there's a possibility of something, and it's not a can't work against you from a scientific point of view, then it's a free roll on fun. You get to now mm. have. You know. You can. Does that make any sense? You get. To, it's yeah. Like, it's an f- emotional free roll where you get to just. Yeah. Uh, Put yourself through whatever. I don't know. And if it, if you run bad, you can start to say, "Oh yeah, I'm an anti barometer for psychic phenomena." And then you start thinking, you know. So you're allowed that if, as long as you do it in check and you're not opening up a, uh, you know, your bank account to go to the psychic reader down the street and have tarot cards <laughs> <laughs> Like if you, if you do it as a scientist with all fun, uh, treating it as a fun product it's okay, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, going further down the rabbit hole, right? This is real sort of like when you're going on about stuff like that. You, again, one of your articles or somewhere I read it because you, you actually posted a link to go and read about it. And it was some Ivy League, I think, somewhere in America, uh, some Ivy League university. They were looking at the effects of human behavior yep. and human on random number yep. generators.
1: It's called, uh, and I hope the website's still up. I know it was... Uh was a princeton's engineering anomalies research department which uh was an active extension of the princeton university you've heard of and then like you know the ivy league up there school but it was a very like you know off the engineering department something and it was fun it was it was uh, part of the school curricula whatever and they were studying these things now it's since uh that branch i think is closed up but i think the website has tons of like hundreds and hundreds of abstracts of scientific journals into small-scale interference on the real world from human consciousness. And Mm -hmm. it turns out that most scientists would agree that at almost molecular levels, like almost at uh, just above, that just out of reach, you can't do anything with like the fact that, yes, okay, uh, this person can, um, influence this random number generator to parts per million to a statistical whatever blah 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 like there there's no edge anyone can make in a game there's no uh, practical applications et cetera. but there's a lot of funny things about our consciousness and our energies that people uh, aren't I just they're not aware I mean here's the most interesting one the most interesting one I read in the whole book I actually and I I haven't followed up on this because I said, "You know what? When I have the money, I'm going to test that experiment to see if it's true because I need to see it from my own eyes." But uh, and I don't know how much it would cost. I, I think you could get you could it's just one piece of equipment. I don't know where I would have to rent it, but check this out. You can put a guy in a room and put a video camera on him and he knows that people are watching him or not watching him or whatever. He's being recorded. He knows that uh, somebody may or may not be watching him from another building. Well, you know, via uh the telephone cables or the wires in the building yeah the, the standard technology that we have today it turns out if you put this guy in one of those and i don't remember the name of the machine i have to reload it was i think it was called the conscious mind by dean radin r-a-d-i-n and uh some somewhere in the book would talk about this but you put this guy up to a battery test of uh, the guy who's sitting in the room just doing his thing he's just reading a book or whatever but if you measure his electromagnetic resonance or his alpha waves there's some like energies that the human body is giving off, some are magnetic, some are this, some are that, some are heat, whatever, there are a, a collection of these uh, instruments are able to detect. Now, the guy can't tell, but the instruments react when he's being observed. So if you're in another building another, across town and you're, you start to look at this man, the instruments on the machine record that he's being looked at. He doesn't feel any different. Everything's the same in his point of view. He's just hanging out in a room reading a book. But there are devices that you can, that can magnify super small things in the human body. How does this guy know that across town there's a guy looking at him on the camcorder? Yeah. Now, this is – when I read this, I read this like a long time ago. I – you know, the scientists knew he was like, this is impossible and blah, 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 blah. Then you read on, and then you just you you become convinced enough. Let's put it this way, I am convinced enough that I would not bet money on it, but I am going to spend my own money to try and get to the bottom of that and find out if it's true or false. I do have the, I have a degree in engineering. I know how to make a control and target test. Like I, I just got to get this <laughs> machine that was measuring them. I can set everything else up, no problem. I can set up a camcorder across town. I got to find out what that machine was. You just reminded me that was on my to do list. But you know, you get a lot of things on to do list, Barry. And they don't all get done. You know that's my life story. <laughs> no. So that you know, even though I really want to do that, I do want to clean my garage first. So don't on our next <laughs> interview, don't be getting down on me if I haven't solved that. But it's an right. interesting phenomenon, and uh, and there are some leading scientists that believe, in fact, that at super super micro levels, uh, human consciousness has it has shown to affect um, randomness or whatever. It's like it's it's mind numbing, but it's so minuscule. Yeah. We're talking parts per million and not like we can uh who knows maybe in you know a thousand years from today you'll have a wristwatch, and all of a sudden you look down at it and it turns a, a shade of blue and now you know somebody behind you is checking you out because yeah. it's hooked into your who knows i mean that's like it's science fiction google, but,
0: google glasses <laughs> yeah i don't know what's
1: next on the bullet list we should probably be wrapping this up this feels like we've been talking as long as neil channing actually
0: yeah yeah well we're currently just passing the hour now so there's just a couple more things that we were going well there's one last thing on that you were basically saying there, like oh things you know when antonio was thinking i'm going to win this you're saying there's lots of paths that can unfold but you're just you know you're going down whatever one but that's like when you're speaking about there uh when you're speaking about metaphysical you know and quantum quantum universe and stuff like that you were always famous for wanting to squeeze the whole card and stuff like that now you're an engineer, and you've got much more scientific background than me. But from my little knowledge of quantum physics and stuff, this will sound really out there. But things behave differently when they're observed. So it's what do you think? Yeah. Of-
1: it's, it's called the Heisenberg principle, and I'm not a scientist. I didn't study physics. I was more engineering, but I have done a little bit of reading. The small particles, you if you want to find out their uh, what they look like and their direction, as you measure the direction. Uh, their wait, what is it? There's mass and velocity and direction. Is that what it is? See, now I argue, I already don't know. But as you measure one construct, the other one changes or disappears or can't be measured or something nuts about thing. Yeah, and it, and it, you don't need science and a molecular or to know this. All you have to do is go into your dad's closet, get out his super cool camera, the one with that long telephoto lens, go down to the park and sit from 50 yards and take a picture of two kids playing frisbee, and you will be unobserved. As you get closer, eventually they're going to turn and start talking to you. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's just like in a gross meta world concept, you're with a camera. And if you're going to get right in there, things change. Now, it, it turns out that's what's happening at a molecular level too. And I don't know mm-hmm. why we're talking about the Heisenberg principle, and I don't know if my analogy's made any
0: sense, but... No, they did. It did. Right, let's go next thing. The World Series coming up. You're out there for it. What does someone like you, you're famous for the cash games more, although you've had quite a lot of tournament success as well. Um, what's your sort of view on the World Series and what's your hopes for it?
1: Okay, my hope is my hope is very simple that uh, I can maintain a state of uh a, a, my hope is this that I play well and that I maintain a state of uh, not being too concerned with results because it's a lot easier to play well. I mean, oh, and this is a very interesting story. I wrote an article about this. You might remember this article. I was sitting there, and I was grinding these uh, tournaments because I was trying to qualify for the Epic Poker League, which I made narrowly. I I needed to win like a quarter of a million at the summer. And I was like, whoa. But I think I spent, like, 230000 to make a quarter of a million. I like, qualified <laughs> or something. Like, it was, like, yeah. dismal, whatever. It was painful. But I remember it was – I had played, and I don't know how many events I'd played. It was a lot of events. But I just kept busting out, and I would examine at on the way home. and say, okay, yeah, I played well. All right. All right. Ace came. Ace came. And the queen came in the room, Yeah, I went broke there. And I would always be double-checking. I was like, okay, but don't be tricked. You know, you have to – What about all the middle hands? And I would try and be fair, and sometimes I'd realize I didn't play as good as others. But ultimately, I was just kind of happy that at the end of each day, I roughly felt pretty good about my play. You know, there's always going to be holes, whatever. And I hadn't even realized how many events I had gone without cashing. I I didn't know, honestly, until I decided to figure it out because Neil Channing was sitting across the table, and he was – in his curmudgeon funk and it was more than normal and he was going on about the hand before the night before like how he busted he had aces versus a guy who had like seven eight of clubs and the guy flopped a seven and money went in and then he was an, a, he picked up a, a gutter ball straight draw on the turn with his pair of sevens and the rest of the money went in and then the guy made his gutter ball and <laughs> the way Neil was playing. and then Neil was like really bummed and he was not really bummed but you know a little bit more sad than normal <laughs> or something and he
0: was yeah. and I was
1: like neil how many events because he he said I don't know if I can ever cash, and he was like he made it seem like he was just he had played 100 events and he hadn't cashed, and I was like, well, that's interesting. I haven't. I I wonder how many. I was like Neil, like I was wondering. I didn't know that. I okay. Here's so I said Neil, how many events have you not cashed consecutively? He says nine. He said 19, and I thought, oh yeah, that's a lot of events to not be to not have cashed. And I guess I would feel in a funk too. And I felt kind of like my heart went up to him. And I was like, well, I'm glad that I'm just still playing good. And I don't, And I was like, wait a minute, how many events have you played, Phil? And then I like, got out the little thing and I counted out, I circling. And I was like, yeah, I played done. And I went, oh my god, 20 events. I'd played one more event and not cashed yet. <laughs> and I was. And, I hadn't felt anything yet because I was just going. I was just possessed by if I was playing good or not, and I was just so happy when I was getting good grades that I didn't. I hadn't even noticed that I'd gone 20 events and didn't catch. I swear to God, I told Neil, I was like Neil, you're not going to believe this. I didn't know. I thought it was maybe like eight or 10, or if I had to guess, a high estimate would have been 14. I couldn't imagine it was 20, you know, but it was 20. <laughs> and uh, so I guess that's a constant reminder of like the way to gamble is to not be really concerned about the results because I didn't. Who knows? I might have started getting into funk at. At fourteen or twelve, or no is it? I And then I like had a rush, and I started cashing left and right towards the end. So I made my quarter of mill ball for the to qualify. But um, so that's mm-hmm. my goal. My goal is to. Uh, oh, and also, whew, I guess I'm going to put it out there in space. But I'm going to say that I also don't want to pull forty-eight hour sessions. I want every session, like from when I wake up, I want to go to bed approximately 18 hours later I don't want to do one of these things where I it's you know I bust out of a tournament at 8 p.m. I go over to the blagio let's say I'm playing and now it's two in the morning and uh, you know there's some fish there or whatever because I don't think the fish money is worth it anymore the circadian rhythm purity is just too valuable I've jammed with it and then I super jammed with it that 115 hour stretch and I'm pretty pretty happy trying to keep to um, you know, the latest I'll go to bed is something like 5 a.m. I did that uh, last night, in fact. But it, I try and keep it to a minimum. So I guess that those are my goals: to play well and to not stay up past like 5 or 6 a.m. on any one particular day.
0: Unless the game's good.
1: Nope. I even <laughs> I think even if the uh, games are good, because uh, the I think those days are behind me now, Barry. I think those I'm, I'm hoping that those days are behind me where um, Cause I don't need to chase the dollar as much, you know. Whatever, it's like yeah. fun to chase it. It's fun, but like I'm there because I love the game and whatever. Uh, I do my best, and trust me, I'll put in a little extra time if something special or if some magic is happening at the table. But I'm not down with the whole. You stay awake for the next day. You go to bed at like 2 p.m. You hold whole. I'm trying to remove that from my life. So nope. Even if the game is good, you'll there'll be a seat open, you know, <laughs> and you'll, the next guy on the list will have his shot.
0: Okay, last question. Of all the players I've had on, I've never asked this question, but it feels right to ask you, what's the meaning of life?
1: <laughs> fun, freedom, and fulfillment. You want to have fun, you want to be free while you do it, and you want to pursue fulfilling activities along the way. So, you know, doesn't all have to be fun. doesn't all have to be fulfillment. A little blend of both and uh, to try and be as free as you can. And freedom is actually a state of mind in some ways because – even when I was, you know, I don't know, when I might have felt more like hedged in because of a job or something because of having a lower net worth and having to pay the rent or whatever constructs existed, I was always able to, and I think it's important to try and keep as free a state of mind as possible because, remember, your brain is wherever you are, and you can always be doing something with your brain. It doesn't You don't have to be 100% present wherever you are if you don't need to be. You can be on a, a bus and look and you don't you don't have the luxury of a book or uh, an interesting game to play on your phone you can use your brain and you know fill in the blanks for creating your own good time so I guess fun freedom fulfillment that's what I would say meaning of life and also well I guess something that supersedes that is love so first figure out the love thing get it from your family your loved one your girlfriend whatever some you know but the way to, I guess, so you want to be, you want to have love, is there love, I guess that's it, I guess I'll go with the four, those four, with love being the first, the overarching thing, and then, uh, a meaning of life, I guess that's, or 42, I could just say 42, right? yeah, Douglas Adams style, I mean, I don't know,
0: whatever, yeah. That's cool, well, Phil, it took a year and a t-shirt, and, a uh, you know, approaching Jennifer in the Rio and uh, saying, you know, any chance we could get Phil on and stuff, but thanks so much for coming on, and uh, it's been great fun, and good luck to you and Jennifer at the series this year. I'll keep an eye out for your results.
1: Thank you so much. It was awesome, and I'm sorry it took me so long to uh, to make this happen, and you are... Uh, now. Are we, we going to see you at the, the final, the main of the last event?
0: I'm not going to make it out this year. I was there last year. But um, I'll be I'll be keeping an eye out for the the coverage and see see how you two get on.
1: Awesome, thanks so much, and uh, be well. And um, yeah, and if you see Neil, tell him I say hello. Actually, I'm going to see him uh this week because I he's already there at the series. I've seen his him starting to do some caching and stuff. So
0: yeah, well, he he got second last year. Hopefully, he can uh. I think that was his worst.
1: That was so, sick. That was so yeah. like he's so. <laughs> If anyone needed it, it was like so perfect. Seeing Neil just have like a super flush, like super score, hit him because it's just like not what he expects ever. You know what he's like. <laughs> I miss him already. You're making me want to get to Vegas faster now, man. Okay. All right, Barry, you're the, you're great. Thank you for having me on your show and uh, best to you.
0: Cool. Cheers, Phil.
1: Cheers, bud. Bye.
0: As a OneOuter.com podcast listener you can get yourself a massive $70 discount from our sponsors, PokerXFactor.com. They offer the best in poker training with lots of new videos each week from some of the top names in online poker. Just use coupon code 1outer70. That's oneouter T E R seven zero.